Folks, this morning I'll be reading from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. I think it'll be up on the screen behind me. If not, you can turn to it um, while you're doing that. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Jim Morton. I'm one of your elders here. And uh, you can look on the back of, your, back of your bulletins and find the names of all the officers. And so if anyone has any uh, needs or needs to talk to one of us, you can, uh, you can look on the back there and get our contact info. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Lord, we thank you for the guidance that you give us in your word and the insights that you give us. Um, we just uh, ask right now that you would uh, make your word even clearer to us uh, through, the, through the sermon that Rich will bring now, and I just pray that you will uh, help him to communicate what you would have him to say to each of us. Thank you, Lord, for being here with us. Thank you that we can worship freely, and uh, thank you uh, for, this, for this building in which to worship. Lord, we just thank you for sending your son for us. Thank you for your provision. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning again, church. <clears throat> so as I've had the opportunity to meet most of you, um, you may have learned one thing about me, and that is that I love to travel. I love to travel. See, I love, uh, honestly, just hopping in my car, hitting the road, blasting some good music, and seeing the scenery just fly right by me. I love the experience of seeing new places, of tasting new foods, of hearing the ambiance and the sound of a city as you go to visit it for the first time. Now, before coming to surf here at Grace, I actually worked at Liberty University for several years, and, and two of the offices I had worked for specialized in student travel. I got to go uh, do missions trips to Philadelphia and to Rock Hill, South Carolina, even here to Charlottesville several years ago. I got to go on business trips to Bozeman, Montana, and to uh, Pittsburgh and New York City. And probably my favorite trip, honestly, was going to the nation state of Israel a few years ago and taking a bunch of students there. Honestly, I love to travel. In fact, I love traveling so much that I'm even going on two more trips this coming week. Uh, both Pastor Tom and myself will be actually heading up tomorrow uh, afternoon to go up to Philadelphia to visit Westminster Seminary and, and attend this preaching conference with a bunch of these great preachers of today. Uh, also, even this Saturday, quick and shameless plug, our youth and their families will be heading up to the Museum of the Bible uh, to go experience that this Saturday. It's going to be a great time. Now, I know many of us here at Grace also enjoy hitting the road. We love traveling. Um, new stories when you travel are made. New sights are marveled at. But there's one thing that I absolutely loathe, loathe about traveling. And you could probably guess it if you've done a lot of traveling yourself. Staying at hotels. Hotels, they're terrible. They smell. <laughs> they're these nasty places where, honestly, I find myself losing so much sleep. I find myself terribly uncomfortable at hotels because it's not my home, and they're the cause of so many sleepless nights that I've had. In fact, even earlier this year, I was staying at a hotel that was so terrible, I literally only got one hour of sleep. It was absolutely miserable. 
See, the thing is, I cannot find good rest, real meaningful rest at a hotel. And the reason is that I'm trying to find rest in something that is foreign to me. I'm trying to find rest in something that is foreign. It's not my natural home. It's a place where I feel out of place. It's, you know, the room is not mine, that uh, bed is not mine, and that nasty smell of Clorox is definitely not mine. (laughs) From the time that I arrive at a hotel and set up my belongings, I honestly just feel out of place. I mean, you have to make this place your home for a day, two, three days maybe. Hopefully not worse than that. (laughs) But you know it's not your home. Have you experienced this too? See, my friends, this is what trying to find rest apart from God is like. It's like trying to call a hotel your home. Or, if I dare say so, it's like trying to put up a Christmas tree in the middle of October. It's like trying to go about your life uh, as things might be in discord and in disarray and just pretend that everything is all right when you know it's not. See, we as human beings are derivative creatures. We derive our bodily frame, our affections, our souls, our very existence even, from God himself. God alone is eternal, but we, we ourselves are derivative. As we read from our call to worship in Psalm 95, we saw that God is our maker. He's more than worthy of our praise and our adoration. God is the author of life, and he therefore has authority over us as his creation. But do you know what is truly astounding? It's that God himself, the one who's eternally existed and always will, has chosen to speak to us. And he's chosen to speak to us by giving us his word, the Bible. And he does so out of sheer love. So this morning, I want us to turn our attention back to Hebrews 4, verses 12 through 13. Because Hebrews 4 preaches to us three truths that we ought to know concerning the word of God. Three truths. And that is that the word of God lives, that the word of God acts upon us, and that the word of God reveals our hearts. It lives, it acts upon us, and it reveals our hearts. So again, the word of God lives. Look with me again, if you will, at Hebrews 4, verse 12. The first part of this verse says this, that the word of God is living. Now consider with me a time that you've received a handwritten card or a letter from someone that you deeply cared about. See, there's something special about a handwritten letter that speaks volumes about the person who's actually writing to you. As you read through what they've written to you, you get this sense, this clear sense of their heart, that they've spent time focusing their attention and their thoughts upon you yourself by name. Writing letters and cards to other people is probably not something we do enough in our own culture, but I don't know about you, but when I receive a card or a handwritten letter or a note, even in this day, it means the world to me. This is actually how, in many ways, if we can go there, that I think the Hebrews, the Jewish believers, felt as they received the word of God here in Hebrews 4. See, as the author of Hebrews penned this word of encouragement to the people of God, he had them in mind. His affections were for them. 
his concerns regarding their own well-being and their steadfastness in the Christian faith were for them. They were fresh on his mind. He cared for them as a pastor cares for God's own people. But his words to the people of God were not merely his own. See, through divine inspiration, the Lord God spoke to his people as their shepherd and king through this human vessel. Now concerning scripture, 2 Peter 1 verse 21 tells us that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. See, when you and I are met with the Bible, we're actually put into a position where we must deal with two things, both the author himself, but also the subject of authority. Authority. So as simple as this question is, who is the God of the Bible? God himself is a revealing God. See, when we look around at creation all around us, we see the work of his hands. If you took a moment even this morning, for instance, to check out the blueness of the sky, the blue hues against the white, pure white clouds, these things declare the glory of God. When you look at even creation around you and, and the changing of seasons, right now the leaves are beginning to change in our own midst. You see the yellow and the orange being sprinkled across these trees and as the chlorophyll leaves and um, they turn into this reddish hue almost, these things also declare the glory of God and his majesty. Now, try as we might, we know that we cannot escape from the sense of God's care and his protection over us. This is called providence. And providence, in many ways, is how God works through creation itself to sustain the world and to sustain us. God's providence is plain to all of us because we live in his world. None of us can ignore it because, again, we are derivative beings. Romans 1 verse 20 tells us that God's invisible attributes even, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. In other words, God's creation and God's providence make known to us his goodness, his wisdom, and his power. But think with me, does creation itself exhaustively reveal all there is to know about God, nevertheless, his will for our lives? Certainly not. See, creation itself is not enough to tell us how we ought to live our lives. Living this life apart from God's full revelation is not enough. We cannot find the meaning of life apart from the author of life. It's like trying to find good rest in that hotel that I was talking about earlier, rather than in the comfort of our own home. But here's the good news. Our God is a God who has chosen to reveal himself to us and also his will for our lives through Holy Scripture. Hebrews 1.1, just even flipping back a few chapters here in this book, tells us that long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God, again, is the eternally existing, living, speaking God who revealed himself through his word long ago 
and who continues to reveal himself to us through his word. Now, if we were to push pause right now and just simply consider the gravity of these things, we would be left in awe. See, the living God speaks to us. He speaks to you through the Bible. The truth is this. Scripture doesn't merely contain bits and pieces, little fragments of God's word to us. The Bible itself is the word of God. When you think of the entire scope of Scripture, it collectively bears witness to the glory of God. See, the Bible speaks for itself that it is both majestic and pure. And by the light of Scripture, we can know God and we can know God's will for our lives. As the Westminster Confession puts it even, the Word of God itself convinces and it converts sinners. The Word of God comforts us in our many afflictions And the word of God makes us wise unto salvation. So my friends, the word of God is both living and also life-giving. This is why the beginning of the book of Psalms starts off by saying that the one who is so deeply entrenched in the word of God, who finds his source of life in the word of God, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Though there is such a great distance between us as creatures and God as the creator, he's truly pleased to make himself known to us, to you, and to speak to us. This is grace. See, this is the greatest letter of love that speaks directly to our souls and also in the most relevant and always applicable way. As the Puritan Thomas Watson once put it, by reading other books, you know, the heart may be warmed, But by reading this book, the Bible, it is transformed. So that brings us to our second point this morning. The Word of God itself acts upon us. The Word of God lives, but it also acts. Let's read again Hebrews 4, verse 12. See, this living Word of God is active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, this took me a while to prepare this sermon because the greater context of Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, as you might be looking around yourself, is actually a warning passage, one of the harder passages to preach from, in all honesty. See, Hebrews 3 through 4 is actually a sober warning for God's people. Now, if you think with me back to the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, the people of Israel were held in captivity under the Egyptians, under the authority, the evil authority of Pharaoh. They were there for over 400 years being oppressed. And yet God, out of loving kindness and grace and mercy toward them, saved them. He delivered them. He brought them out of this evil oppression, this evil authority, and brought them out into the wilderness where they could see his good authority over their lives. He brought them even into this place of testing for 40 years so that they might witness his salvation and be fed by him daily, literally as manna flooded that ground. But many of these people were not true believers. Many in their company who had witnessed the salvation of God 
these visible people of God, they hadn't even recognized God's true salvation and owned it for themselves. See, they had witnessed their deliverance by God from their oppressors, but they were hardened in their hearts against God. They were rebellious against God. God had placed this land of promise, as we had just sung about from on Jordan's ceremony, Banks I Stand. He had placed his promise right before them, but this disobedient generation fell in the wilderness due to their hardness of heart and unbelief. So David in Psalm 95 recalled this sad situation that was going on with the people of Israel from back before his time even, and he was pleading as he was leading the people of Israel in worship, saying, don't do the same thing. Don't harden your hearts against God, but rather love and seek the Lord while he may be found. And so enter into that promised land of glory, the rest, the resting place of God that we had just sung about. Because that offer still stands. And see, this is the same word of warning and admonition that the writer of Hebrews gave to the believers 2,000 years ago through this letter. He says in verse 7, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And in verse 9, there remains that same Sabbath rest for the people of God. And in verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by that same sort of disobedience. See, church, the word of God comes to us this very day. If you're like me, you probably have sensed seasons in your own life where you've sensed a bit of, let's say, spiritual amnesia. You probably have had times in your own life, like myself, where your taste buds just weren't really being appeased by the Word of God, where you were longing for it, but you maybe weren't feeling it, right? It didn't taste as sweet to you as often as it once did. See, oftentimes we become so enamored with the things of this world that we lose sight of the majesty of God and we turn to things that will not truly satisfy us, but we think they will in the moment. But this is grace, that God would not leave us there. See, you're his church and believer. He doesn't abandon his own people. His living and his active word comes to open us up and to expose our lives in many ways before him. He's jealous over you. See, to worship and enjoy God brings true joy and true meaning in life. It's in God's nature to even uh, to pursue repeated offenders such as ourselves, even out of undying devotion and loving kindness. See, the very fact that we have gathered together to hear his word as a church body, is proof enough of his faithfulness to us. It's proof that he wants to sanctify you and me and to beautify us together as his people. To be those in Greene County and Albemarle County and Charlottesville who actually adorn the gospel of grace through our lives as we go about our own lives here. See, the living word of God is in many ways like a sword that comes to us swiftly, and it goes to work on the innermost parts of our lives, even when we might not feel like it. The conviction of the Holy Spirit as he works through Scripture calls us to come to our senses. It calls us out of living a lifestyle of slavery unto sin. It calls us to taste and to see that God is truly good. And this conviction of the Spirit 
calls us to walk daily in the joy of Christian liberty. And that brings us to our third point this morning from Hebrews 4, verse 13. So let's look again at this verse. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of of him to whom we must give account. As the theologian F.F. Bruce once said, when we're stripped of all our disguises and all of our protection, this man-made protection, we're utterly at the mercy of God, the judge over all. When we find ourselves before God exposed, it's right for us to feel, at first at least, a little bit afraid. See, when we consider his awesome splendor and his holiness, his majesty, we know that we have no ability to stand before him on our own. Nothing is hidden before our God, and everything is revealed and opened to him. All of our secret thoughts and our hidden motives are right there in front of his own eyes. Again, we can't make ourselves holy enough to stand before God. No amount of good works could just kind of scrub away this sinful rebellion and this distaste that we're so prone to for the things of God on our own. See, we need a perfect advocate to stand in our place and to clothe us with undeserved righteousness that we might walk in that. We need a perfect priest who understands our weaknesses and our temptations to sin and one who has overcome them by his own power. We need a perfect payment for sin that we can never own up to. If we're being honest, we find ourselves with a real dilemma. But look with me at how God himself answers this, even in the next few verses in Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. See, he doesn't answer us with cause for fear ultimately, but as believers, he gives us a reason for faith. Hebrews 4, verse 14 and following say say this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our own weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, that means faith, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So who is like our God? Our God who reveals himself to us. Who is like our God who would show mercy to his own enemies? Who is like our God who would send his own son out of love, even at the expense of his own life? See, Jesus Christ reveals what we need to know about God. Jesus Christ is the one who came for us. He is the one who died for us. He is the one who was raised to life so that all who put their faith in him might not perish under the weight of this punishment for sin and this weight of judgment that we've heaped up ourselves, but rather fall and rest upon the sovereign mercy of God given to us in the gospel. So as we conclude, upon what do you find yourself resting? Upon whose authority are you living your life? Today, the promise of entering God's rest, as we've been reading about, it still stands. It still stands for us. So enter in. 
Savor the word of God, the word that brings real life and real liberty. Run to Jesus. And if you're a believer, then I would admonish you to rest in Jesus as well. With that, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you that we have, as believers, sure confidence that even though we cannot speak for ourselves, you are the one who loves us with an undying affection, with love that comes to us through your word. And even as we read words of warning that can maybe seem a bit odd for us, we thank you, Father, that you've given us such matchless grace by speaking to us in the first place. And we thank you, God, that we have this word of salvation that's been spoken over to us, that all of us who have put our faith in you alone for salvation truly have that. And we thank you, Father, that brings so much joy. It brings us to a place of, of devotion and love for you. And so, God, we thank you that this sweet salvation is of nothing that we could bring before you, but rather it's something that you have given to us so freely of yourself. We thank you that you've given us your word, that you've spoken to us uh, through your holy scripture, Father, and we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. You are truly good and gracious, and so we pray all this in your mighty and holy name. Amen.